We are in a brand new chapter, John. How many do we have left? Got no idea. Praise God for honesty. That should be chapter 16, but we only have 15 chapters. But we are in chapter 14. That's right. Two more to go. Who's counting? Apparently I am. And that is the issue of stewardship. Yay! Isn't that exciting? How many guys just love it when you hear stewardship messages? Isn't that? Yay! Now, as I opened up in the prayer, (laughs) as I opened up in the prayer, stewardship, for, for some reason... And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago from the pulpit on Sunday, if you were here, uh, the true meaning of giving, okay? It's not just, and we always just for some reason think this. We think that uh, stewardship, oh no, it's about financial. Now this is part of it. I like what uh, Martin Luther reportedly stated. He says, uh, show me your billfold or wallet, the terminology they used back then. And he says, I'll show you your God. So I think there is an aspect of that because you will basically, whatever you get excited about, you, you spend your money on, your time on, you get all, everything, that be, in essence is your God, ultimately. I mean, if that's the majority of your life and time and energy, and that's what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, one of my favorite quotes, what is an idol, a man's God, okay? But it's not just financial. As we're going to see clearly, just like what we saw a couple weeks ago from the pulpit, is stewardship, guys. The whole theme is this. It is all about your whole life. Not a part of it. Not just one piece of it. It's about your whole life. Let's take a look at the antithesis of a stewardship idea mentality for the Christian. And that's how he starts it off at the top of page 153. That's right, Mario. 153 in chapter 14 entitled Stewardship. After all, it's mine, isn't it? Aha! It's my life. I'll do what I want with it. Interesting. I have my rights, Ron. It's my money. I'll spend it the way I want to spend it. It's my talent. I'll do what I want with it. It's my money, and I, I, I can't afford to give to the Lord, and I still have enough to meet my needs and my desires. I want what I want when I want it. Not only do I want what I want when I want it. That's almost like how much wood could a woodchuck chuck? Whew. Not only do I want what I want when I want it, but I have a right to it. Blah, blah, blah. How many guys would say the code word for that person rhymes with Brad? <laughs> How many guys love it when you go to the store and your kids? Right? Now what we're going to see when we have that attitude, guys, really, because we're God's kids, right? Hello, this will preach. Okay, we're acting like what kind of a brat when we have that mentality in the church in our walk with Jesus Christ. We're acting like spiritual brats, Okay. And as we saw before, sometimes because of that, God, just like with our earthly children, he will discipline us as well. Now, what's really creepy about that attitude, this old, I, I, it's my, it's my life, my money, my talent, I'll do it, I want, why, people don't realize two things. Number one, okay, we'll get into this Lord willing in a couple of weeks, okay, we're just now getting into the next phase of the final countdown, the rise of wickedness, and it's not just exposing the wickedness, I'm interested in finding out how in the world did we go from a great, mighty, strong, awesome, godly christian nation to this well we're going to find that we're going to discover that over the next several weeks lord willing how that happened you're going to see that people deliberately infiltrated all sectors of our society to turn this nation against god and christianity okay but that's what we're going to see and in a couple weeks we're going to deal with this attitude where did this i i i i me my 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 our founding fathers in our country was not built upon that these were men who were selfless they sacrificed everything their income their livelihood their lives their families everything they gave it all up for a greater ideal called freedom amongst many things. And what we see, and we're going to see, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, is this I mentality, I, it's my life, the first phrase there, and I'll do what I want with it. Now, I know this because I came out of this. 
Did you know that is the number one law of Satanism? Been there. Satanic Bible. Had a roommate introduce me to it. Number one law of Satanism is do what you will shall be the whole of the law. This attitude to do whatever you want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, it's about me, it's my way, the highway, is a good Satanist. Now, why would that be the number one rule of a Satanist? (laughs) Because if you read the Bible, okay, you're going to see it comes from their leader, Satan. That was his fall. Open your Bibles to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 14. You find Isaiah, what do you do? Go to chapter 14. You guys are on the ball. Isaiah 14, we're going to read verses 12 through 15. And we've seen this before, but this is the classic passage of the fall of Satan. What caused the fall of Satan? How did he go from being the anointed cherub, okay, to what we have today? Let's take a look. Here's the factor, folks, okay? He says this, Isaiah 14, starting again with verse uh, 12. Here's what it says. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. And here's the problem. Here's how it happened. Here's how he fell. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave to the depths of the pit. So what caused the fall of Satan? Yeah, he had an eye problem. We saw this before, the old Christian little phraseology, sin, the word sin. Every time we sin, what's the problem? Right smack dab in the middle is I. It's I. And you think about it, we've talked about this before, not to belabor it too much, okay? Every single time you think about it, myself, you, us, any Christian, anybody on the planet, when you sin at that moment in time, are you, what's, why did you do it? Because you said, no, I want to do what I want to do. I love me and my will more than God. That's what caused the fall of Satan. And yet, what are people told from we high you're supposed to do? The number one virtue in our society today. Feed this baby. It's all about I. It's all about you. You, 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 you. And we wonder why our world's so messed up. But we'll get into that later, okay? That's what, where it comes from, okay? Now, obviously, as you can see, that is diametrically opposed to the cross of Jesus. Anybody glad that he didn't have an I problem? Okay? He gave himself. He didn't say, I quit. I've had it with you guys. I'm sick and tired of you guys. I can't believe you just punched me in the face and said, prophesy. I'm going to annihilate you. I'm not going to do the Father's will. Anybody glad? Okay, now when we're talking about this stewardship, really God could ask us to do anything he wants us to do and he'd be completely just and we still should do it. But name one thing that he really asks us to do that he hasn't already demonstrated and done himself. And so this whole stewardship thing is we're going to see it's his life, it's not ours. We've got to get this my life, my I, I out of our head. That's Satanism. And we've got to get the same ta- mentality, the servant mentality, a, a servantship, if that will help get the point across and get this whole financial thing out of your head. That's, again, I'm not against that. That's a part of it, but that's not the whole enchilada. Okay, you've got to understand that that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Do any of these statements sound familiar? 
our culture seems to be constantly echoing these prideful declarations. I'm certainly guilty of stating, or at least thinking, such things occasionally. Yes, even after my conversion, John, I maintain some of the attitudes that lead to such expressions of self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. Well, no, I'm just, I was talking me to you. Yeah, but anyway, I'm backstroke. <laughs> so self-centeredness, okay? Now, now can, can I help you put a little stinger on that word so we can understand this? Because we're so self-centered today. And we are told to feed self. It's all about self, okay? It was self, and, he, and keep eye on self, okay? Uh, is self-centeredness, let, 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 let's put this word there, Satan-centeredness. Ooh, that doesn't sound good, does it? Yeah, it's exactly right. Because that's what Satan is, right? Self-centeredness, it's about him. He's gonna be like God. He's gonna ascend to the throne. When, you, when, you, when we're self-centered, when it's all about self, 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 it's Satan-centered, I'm acting just like him. Now, that's a stinger, and I hope it stings. It's just a sting, should sting for all of us, myself included, because it's diametrically opposed to what we're called to be and, dare I say, what God saved us for. It's this stewardship principle, okay? Here's what he says. I, it was a shocking revelation for me to find out that I really don't own. Underline that, asterisks around it, put circles, once again, draw some fireworks, do what you gotta do, but you and I don't own anything. Excuse me, what? Hey, read your Bible. Open your Bibles to Psalm 24. Here's one passage. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. If you're hooked on phonics, how would you say that? Psalm. Remember that? Anybody ever do that, hooked on phonics, as we turn there and stall for time? Nope. Me neither. Either that or you guys are too chicken to raise your hands, but uh, we're almost there, stalled enough time. Psalm 24. Verses 1 and 2, it says, The earth is somewhat the Lord's, but uh, the rest belongs to you. At least that stuff that you earned all by... I, I, I. Yeah, okay, thanks, Ruth. Wrong translation. The earth is the Lord's, and how much? In case you're wondering, maybe it's just the planet. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Just the planet. The rest of us, we've got to scramble. No, he owns everything, folks, and everything in it. Uh, listen, and the world. Oh, and, and it's not just things. All who live in it. Who's that? Uh, that's us, folks. That's people. For he's the one who founded it on the seeds and established it upon the waters. That's a very important... In fact, let's continue on, shall we? Let's, it's not just the principle. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to do some page flipping tonight because I really want to drill this point home because I, I think we're going to not do justice to our study if we just come away thinking stewardship is just merely a financial issue, and it's not. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read just uh, verses 19 through 20. And here's, oh, I love this. This is one of the most misquoted, I think, passages in the scripture uh, for today. Let's take a look at this. He says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He says, do you not know, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is where? In you, whom you have received from God. What's the next phrase? Let's all say that together. You are not your own. What? How in the world then could we say it's my life, my time, my money, my, 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 my. I don't know about you, and I'm not saying this to be super spiritual, or of course that's what a pastor would say. But many years ago when this struck me, well, first of all, I didn't want this life. When I cried out to Jesus when I was 25, all by myself, that's what I said. I said, God, if you're real and if you're really, you, if you want this life, listen, you can have it. I said, I don't want this anymore. I'm sick and tired of trying to be the captain of the ship. I don't want this life. I ruined it, messed it up. That's his life. And that's what he said. He says, you are not your own. 
Why? Because you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, before we get to the price that was paid for us so that God could buy us back, it's called redemption. It's an Old Testament term. Somebody could be bought back out of slavery, and Jesus paid for us with his life. We'll get to that in a second. And bought us back out of slavery, out of the sin, out of the dominion of darkness, Satan's kingdom, if you will, okay, the kingdom of darkness. He bought us back. We belong to him. We're his property now. Anybody glad to be Jesus' property? I'll take him as a landlord any day of the week, okay? But it's his land, and he's the Lord. And it's not just a possession issue. It's a life issue. It's his life now. Now, I've got to bring this up because this seems to always be misquoted in our exciting society that's so concerned about health and well-being. Right, Tom? Wasn't that a fabulous workout we had today? Pumping iron, doing man stuff. Yeah, whatever. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I believe in a well-balanced diet. It's a cheeseburger in both hands, John. You know what I'm saying? You've got to watch out for the french fries. They could tip the skill, but no. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, seriously. And here's what we do. We quote this passage so much out of context. Okay, we say this. Uh, 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 don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And it's quoted as if, okay, see, you need to eat right because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's a, that's a loose secondary translation because if you take a look at the context, the context is about sin and specifically the sin of sexual immorality. Now, I guess gluttony is a sin. I mean, no guess it is a sin. So yeah, it's a secondary. But the primary passage is what he's saying is, don't you realize that God is inside you, the Holy Spirit? You're his temple now. You, me, we're we're his temple. And the, the, the context there is don't link yourself up with a prostitute. It's not because you got in trouble because you ate too much pork with all due respect and you didn't eat a carrot that day. But isn't it easier to talk about food and eating right than it is about living right? And I think it it fits the theme, guys. It's about stewardship. It ain't just a financial issue. It's a life issue. We need to realize we don't belong to us. It's his life. Okay? Now, let's take a look and remind ourselves. We we know this, uh, hopefully, but what did he buy us with? To open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1 now. 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, verses 18 through 19, he tells us. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18 through 19. Here's what he says. For you know, Peter says, or do we? Maybe that's the problem. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Wow. We don't belong to us because God bought us back. Now we say that, we know that, and again, not to sound super spiritual, but this is why in my prayers to God, I try to, as much as I can, get away from this I, me, my mentality. Because it's a good Bible and it's a good reminder, this is not my life. It's not my life. I'm not making this up. We just quoted the verse. And so I say, God, what would you have me to do with my life? It's, God, would you please use, this is what I use, this life. For your glory. 
Now, when I do use me is when I own up to my sin. God, would you forgive me for my sin? But this is your life. What do you want to do with your life? You see what I'm saying? I'm telling you guys, once you get into that habit, change the terminology, it will save you a whole bunch of heartache, okay? Because that's what we're called to be, wise stewards for Jesus, and it's much more than just a financial issue. It's a life issue. It helped me to realize, he says there, that I'm responsible for the proper use and upkeep of those things that God has entrusted me. Now, what's that? That's everything, right? Not just a financial issue, that's everything, okay? I am going to be held accountable, okay, for that. Thus, it makes me become a better, listen, underline that word, manager. You're not the owner of your life anymore. You've been bought. I've been bought. Praise God for that. You're just managing it, right? God is the one who owns the business. We're just the manager, right? Now, how are we managing God's business every single day? Because that's what we're doing. How are we doing? Right now, based on our track record of being a good manager, would God fire us? Would he say, man, you need to take some uh, courses or something because you're lacking, you, right? Or when he comes, ooh, isn't there a parable about this? When he comes to his business, vineyard, and sends his sons to check on how the business is coming along because it's his, you know, and the managers, what? They chucked out the prophets who came to check it out. They chucked out, you know, the other guys and the, they even killed the son. How are we doing? with the business of the Father. It's his business. We're just managing it. What are we doing? How are we doing with the business's time? How are we doing with the business's possessions? How are we doing with just being a manager and doing what God has called us to do? How are we doing with the business's finances? How are we doing? Because that's the mentality. It's not us. It's his. Let's continue on. He talks about this. Well, what is God's? Okay, well, first of all, he says this. Thus, it becomes a, a, a better manager of my mind, and here's what it entails. It's your whole life. My mind, body, speech, talents, gifts, possessions, and what's that, Ruth? Act. That's right. Eat that cow. That's what I think it stands for, Tom. Uh, we're all God's stewards, and we all have things allotted to us on earth to manage. Not own, not I, me, I, uh, uh. You're managing all that stuff. You are a manager of your mind. That's even wrong, isn't it? You're a manager of his mind. You're a manager of his body. You're a manager of his speech, talents, gifts, and possessions. It all belongs to him. How are you managing all that? Well, that's what we're getting into here. Well, what is God's? Well, in the Old Testament book of 1 Chronicles, uh, David was about to go to the grave. He proclaimed a truth of which we all need to be reminded. And he said, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is what? Yours. Okay. And so the fact that David makes it clear here is that God owns it all. As your first two blanks there, God owns it all. That means that anything we possess is really owned by God. It's his business. That's not your forklift. That's his. Right? That's not your desk you sit at. That's his. That's not your computer. He bought that for the business. That's his. That's the mentality that he's talking about here. Not only that, the Bible is clear that we are owned by God as well. Thus, we are stewards or managers for God, managers, your next blank there, of our mind, talents, gifts, possessions, and act. 
William Bright states, the steward is not the owner. Okay, He does not possess the estate he manages. It is derived property, the ownership of which is vested in another. The true owner has the right, listen, to demand an accounting from the one whom his possessions have been entrusted. Right? And the Bible says we're going to give that account. One day, folks, when we die, we're going to give an account. Hey, how did you run the business? What's the business? The business is your life. He saved you so that you would be living this life for the Father's business. It's a business, if you will. How did you run the business? Was it successful in God's eyes? Did you spend your, your time, your treasure, your talents and tongues, everything that's associated with the business, did it bear fruit for God? Did it reflect, listen, his business values? That changes everything, doesn't it? Now, I said all that. Now, let me read that again. It's my life. I'll do what I want with it. It's my rights. It's my money. I'll spend it my way. I want to spend it. It's my talent. I'll do what I want with it. It's my money. I I can't afford to give to the Lord. I still have enough to meet my needs and desires. I want what I want when I want it. Not only do I want what I want when I want it, I have a right to it. I'd fire you if that was my employee. No, it's not yours. It's my business. And I employed you to work here for me. You want to go back to the other guy? I'll take Jesus any day of the week. Hey, folks, the Bible's clear. You're either serving God or you're serving who? You're in somebody's business. Come on. Don't you want to be in the Father's business? Don't waste his business time. Okay, let's continue on with that. He talks about this. Ron Blue states, God has the right to whatever he wants whenever he wants it. I got a strange theory, and I think I understand why he made that statement. Um, I think it's because God is God. <laughs> Hello? He makes the rules. He can do whatever he wants, man. Okay, he's got a right to whatever he wants when he wants it. It's all his. And because an owner has rights... And I, as a steward, only have responsibilities. Do you get it? I, 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 I. It's, it's not just the number one law of Satanism. I, 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 I ain't going to do that. I don't want to do that. I, why can't I get what I want? When I, uh, it's not just the number one law of Satanism. It's not just what caused the fall of Satan. It is so diametrically opposed to why God sent his son to die. Ephesians, turn there real quick. Ephesians, we've got to remind ourselves of this. What did he save us for? To sit around and go, I, 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 I. No. Okay? Ephesians, chapter 2. Let's read the whole context. 8, 9, and 10 is what I want to focus on. Let's take a look there. Ephesians chapter 2. And here's what Paul says. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's what? It's a gift from God. And it's not by word so that nobody can boast. Okay, now, that's usually where we stop. Keep reading. Why, does the, why is this stewardship so important? Why? Why do I get to get out of this? My, 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 my. And I got to realize that this is a business. This is God's temple now. I'm just a manager. Why? This is what blows me away. What's the next verse? Verse 10. For we are God's what? Workmanship. 
Created in Christ Jesus to what? To do good works what God prepared in advance for us to do. This isn't just some dry, stale, boring business. This, there's no more important business than the Father's business. And what a business to be a part of. That when we are good stewards, wise managers, servants like Jesus Christ, He will take our business days and do something splendid that really matters. Not just building a widget that gets thrown away, but something that will last forever. That's a good business. He saved, this is what blows me away. I, I'm just, anybody glad you're not even, you're not going to hell? Man, if that's all it was to be saved, isn't that enough? But then on top of that, what did we just read? He saved us for a purpose. He wants to do it with every single Christian. He wants to do something splendid that he prepared for each one of us to do. Isn't that awesome? I never will forget how empty and vain and and dark and lonely vanity of vanities life was before Christ. So sick and tired of just, is this it? You just get up and you go to work and you earn some cash and hopefully get a bunch to either get drunk or get high or go involved with the loose living or just do whatever, dream all about you and try to you and you, this is it? What an empty, horrible way of living. And then not only be spared from the penalty of living like that, i.e. sin, i.e. you're not going to hell, God says, watch this. Do you realize when you first get saved, the moment you get saved, you just ceased from a useless, vain existence. Isn't that awesome? Life now has meaning, true meaning, true value, true purpose. That's awesome, right? Now there is a reason to get out of bed, right? A great reason. As we saw before, the enemy's not stupid. He's got plan A and he's got plan B. And plan B was to try to keep it from getting saved. Hmm, well, if that didn't work, <laughs> he just leaves you alone. No, plan B is to try to thwart Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, so that you will not live for Jesus, so you will actually be God's child acting like Satan's child, going, I, 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 and you'll be a horrible business manager, and the awesome things that God has prepared you to do will never accomplish. He cannot take away your salvation, praise God, but he can take away your one shot, your time as a manager to do that great thing that God saved you for. Man, is he stinking evil or what? Anybody wonder, like me, I'm wondering that, you know, when he gets chucked at the, at the end of the millennium kingdom, when he gets chucked into the lake of fire, anybody kind of hoping to get to watch that? I am. Okay, that's me. But anyway, that's right. Let's continue on. Uh, he's got the rights. He's the owner. And as a steward, I got responsibilities, okay? Uh, since we are all God's stewards, it is important for us to have a good working knowledge of what a Christian stewardship is. Stewardship is, listen, the use of God-given resources for the accomplishment of God-given goals. Now listen to that statement right there. Being a steward is the use of God-given resources. It's his for the accomplishment of God-given goals. He saved you for a splendid purpose. It's his life. It's my life. I'll do what I want with it. It's my rights. It's my money. It's my money. 
Do you see how absolutely foreign and shocking that statement was? Any, is, it, is it even more shocking than when we first read it at the beginning of this study? It's completely, that's what I'm telling you guys, the theme of stewardship is not just merely a financial issue. That is part of it. But see, that's not all of it. Because that's not all of your life. Okay, which is the theme. Next page, that's where we're cruising now. Uh, 154, what does stewardship involve? Hey, in our uh, work as God's stewards, it will be important for us to know some of God's possessions with which we have been entrusted to manage. They include ourselves, our gifts, and our possessions. What's that? Yeah, that's right. Ourselves, our gifts, and our possessions. Let's take a look at ourselves. And that's based on the passage we already read, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. The first responsibility we want to discuss is that of being managers of ourselves. In Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he stated the following. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Put that cheeseburger down. That's what it means. Yeah, no. Okay, who is in you, of whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Can I translate that? It is your body, but again, it's your life. Okay, the scripture makes it very clear here and many other passages that as Corinthians, we are God's possession. The highest price was paid for our redemption. As a result, we're called on to be good stewards of ourselves by living a holy life. There are several emphasis in scriptures dealing with the stewardship of ourselves. One area that's addressed, and this is again specifically the one addressed in this passage, not a food issue by and large, it is this, is a sexual, is your blank there, sexual expression is one way in which uh, we express uh, good stewardship with God. The very passage that we quoted uh, to start off this section, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, is set in the context of Paul addressing the problem of immorality in the Corinthian church. The word immorality, your next blank there, as we saw before in the previous study, is porneia, and that includes, listen, incest, homosexuality, prostitution, unchastity, fornication, and is used for every kind of unlawful sexual intercourse. Thus, any type of sexual activity outside a monogamous heterosexual is your next blank there a monogamous not monotonous monogamous heterosexual marriage is condemned and is prohibited by the ultimate owner of our bodies the holy god wow this type of immorality uh immoral activity is condemned okay is condemned over and over in scripture as god's stewards of our bodies we are to flee immorality not flirt we are to flee immorality. Let me give you an analogy with this one. Can you imagine you bought a house, right? And you decided uh, it's your second house, right? But you bought that house because you wanted to help some people out. So you actually bought a house for them to live in, and all I had to do was take care of it. Can you imagine that every time you went to your house that you bought out of love, that the people in there were trashing it and partying it and in this context, doing all kinds of lewd stuff. That's what he's talking about. We're his house. You know, we'll use the phrase temple. And when, it isn't just that God comes and checks on it. When does God ever leave us? What are we doing to his house? It's, I'm telling you, it's not that cheeseburger. 
What are we doing? When, when he, he, he's not just looking through the windows, he's already in the house. He sees it all. He even sees in the dark. What's he looking at? What are we doing to his house? Who are we having over? What are we doing? A wise steward takes care of God's house, which is our bodies, okay? Now, another area of our, uh, our body, which we're called to be managers, is our tongues. Our tongues. Our tongues. As God's stewards, the words that we speak should always be honoring to him. What? Uh-huh. Incredible destruction is the next blank there. Incredible destruction can come from a loose tongue. It's the one that falls out all the time, right? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, the psalmist says, Who is the man who desires life and loves the length of his days that he may seek good? Anybody want to have a long, good life in Christ? Woo! Well, here's what you do. You take vitamins and stay away from those cheeseburgers. Because, you know, no, no, let's, no, no, no wrong one. That, we, that's the easy one to talk about. We love talking about that stuff. His advice is keep your tongue from evil. What? And your lips from speaking deceit. James speaks extensively in his epistle to the danger of unguarded speech. And he says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defies the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and it's set on fire by hell. Wow. Jenna, do you realize that he's not talking about halitosis? That's serious business. Our tongue, our mouth, our words are set on fire by hell. How many guys would love to be on God's hate list? I mean, you get up and you say, I just really want to make God mad. Oh, come on, John. You want to join the fun? If you don't want to be on his hate list, then don't do what we're about to read. Open your Bibles to Proverbs, okay, that's your next there, listed among these things the Lord considers abomination is your blank there. He says Psalm, it's a misquote, it's Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. Let's take a look at that. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's a misquote. Yeah, it's actually Proverbs. Yep. Yep. Proverbs uh, 6 verse uh, 16 through 19 here's what it says there are six things the Lord hates why God hates stuff I thought he was a God of love and he never did anything to hurt a flea and he no here's something he hates seven listen to this listen to the strong words by Solomon writing this proverb I believe seven that are detestable to him how many guys know of something that is just detestable to you besides chicken broccoli anybody else what's detestable to you lima beans i need somebody from this side come on cough it up here peas right apparently vegetables and we were talking about health food earlier no wonder (laughs) right i was just basically this is what makes god go i hate this Here's what it is. Haughty eyes. You know, it's all about you. It's ha ha. Yeah, it's you. Mm, mm, mm. What's that? What's that do to God? 
a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes. I'll get them. It's my way. (laughs) Right? Feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, listen, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Isn't that an exciting goal as a manager of God's business? How many guys, if every day you went into the workplace as the owner of the business and everything you saw around you made you go, I can't believe, you'd fire the lot of them, wouldn't you? what God says because even our mouth belongs to him how would you guys love this wouldn't this be cool you invite everybody over to potluck like John and Ruth uh, this Sunday right skip skip the trip skip the trip yeah <laughs> they're taking us all to San Francisco and he's gonna no okay so all right but you got everybody over right it's a big church gathering right and you go and decide, hey, I know what we'll do. We Christians listen to music. And I will pipe through in my backyard, yeah, some good beats, man. And we'll just kind of get a good fellowship going, right? But for some goofball reason, something happened to your stereo. You turned that thing on, and out of that stereo came the most blasphemous, God-hating, anti-Christian music that you can, and you couldn't shut it off. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? We are God's stereos. And not just at potlucks and church gatherings, but everywhere we go. What's coming out of the stereo? And is God, if you will, going, shut it all. You're embarrassing me. Wow, this stewardship thing's pretty important. It's an abomination to God. In addition, Colossians 3 tells us to put aside slander and abusive speech. The guarded tongue is a sign of a good stewardship of our bodies and a clear sign of, I love this word, maturity. How many guys learn that sometimes it's a little rough to learn that godly habit to pay attention to what you say before you say it, right? And that your mouth belongs to God and that when he turns on the radio, so to speak, out comes what he wants to say in any given situation, okay? Because I don't care what comes out of your tongue. I don't care if you can sit there. I can quote the Bible 500 times. I'll tell you what, after 500, you just name a verse. I don't know. I, I can quote a verse for chapter, subsection A, B, whatever. Hey, what else comes out of your mouth? That's what I'm interested in because you could sit there and do all that and you could mm, rip people apart with your mouth. The Bible says you're acting like a baby. I don't care if you've been saved for 90 years. You're being immature if you cannot guard your mouth. Show your maturity by what you say as well as what you do. James says, if anyone does not stumble what he says, he's a perfect man able to bribe the whole body as well. Paul gives us a good advice in guarding our speech. He says, let how much? No. 
No unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word uh, that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. As Christians, our speech should be always honoring to the one who created us and gave us the gift of speech. You've heard me say it before. This is not my eye anymore. These are not my ears anymore. This is not my mouth anymore. These are not my hands anymore. These are not my feet anymore. God, what do you want me to uh, uh, say and, and see and to hear and to go? What It's yours and whatever comes out of our mouth should be wholesome yeah but you don't understand what they said to me bless those who persecute you pray for those who spitefully use you blessed are you for those who do that for they did the same thing to the prophets don't do eye for an eye tooth for tooth show your maturity back in like jesus when he was whooped and beaten and was murdered on the cross, the scripture says he didn't utter a word. Ooh, let's continue on. One last area, and then we'll close. Uh, there's an emphasis in the relationship of our stewardship is our heart and mind. Body is our heart and our mind. Your next two blanks. For within, uh, out of the heart of man, for from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murders, adulteries, deeds, coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things proceed from where? within and they defile a man so that's the issue what are you storing up with your eyes with your ears where you go what you see what you do what you say what you give heed to what 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 do you put in your heart because if you learn this one it's just like a sponge how do you know what a sponge soaked up you squeeze the baby and whatever is soaked up starts to come out how do you know the maturity level of a christian in my opinion it's when you squeeze them it comes out of your mouth is it God honoring? If you're mature, it will be. That's what he says. He said that it comes from within. What are you storing up? It ain't by chance what came out of your mouth came out of there. You stored it up in there somewhere, somehow, by what you were thinking in your mind about Have you noticed that the more you start thinking about somebody and maybe what you didn't like or did like or whatever, and if you don't turn from that, what starts to come out of your mouth? You better hand that over to the Lord. The Bible says the root of bitterness is going to go inside of you and destroy you and defile many. Okay, is the warning there. He says, uh, here Mark used the word heart to refer to the center and source of the whole inner life with its thinking, feeling, and volition. Since uh, from our mind the corrupt thoughts of the sin nature are conceived, we must, with the power of the Holy Spirit, be good stewards of what we allow to enter our minds. How does that happen? By what you see, by what you hear. That's where it comes from, Right? Okay, and this will help prevent our minds from being excited towards sin. Paul relates two things to the Philippians that can be helpful in this process. They are prayer and focus. Prayer and focus. And he states, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brethren, whatever you see on the news that we all know is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute, because that's all the news ever reports. I don't know, apparently the La La News Channel, but uh, let's continue on. No, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good repute, if there's anything in excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Yeah, but what about that person? The Bible says to esteem others better than yourself. 
And instead of thinking the worst for them, once you've purposely focused on the good things about that person, because there always is, even in the worst of us. Why? Because that's what you got the tape playing in your mind. And when the squeeze comes, out comes what you've been storing up there. And it isn't rotten thoughts towards people or circumstances or others, etc. Blah, blah, blah. That's a mature Christian. We're going to close with this. I'm going to do a little test. How do you know if somebody's being a good steward versus a bad steward? I'm going to read to you two uh, short stories. And we're going to take a test. Okay. And you get to guess, is this a good steward, a good manager of God's business? Or is this a bad one? Okay, let's take a look at test number one. True story. I had a young student, and uh, one time the guy says, and I took him to Haiti. I took him to a medical center in the northern part of the country, and I showed him a hospital where 700 people had lined up that morning for medical care. There was only one doctor and two nurses. They could only take care of 100 people, the other 600 were turned away, and when my student saw that, he said, Doc, I'm going, I'm, I'm going back to the States. I, I'm, I'm going to complete my education. I'm going to become a doctor, and I'm going to come back here and serve these people. That's my dream. That's the vision that God gave me as a Christian. He said, well, I met him in New York last year, and he's a doctor, all right, but he's not taking care of people in Haiti. You know what he's doing? Cosmetic surgery on women. He said, please, sometimes that's necessary, but for the most part, what he is doing is a sheer absurdity. But you see, there's a lot of money in being made in doing cosmetic surgery for women, much more than saving lives in Haiti. And so a dream was vanquished, a vision was obliterated, i.e. Ephesians 2, 10, nil. Good steward, bad steward. Ready, go. All right. Say that three times. You sound like sheep. Okay, anyway, so let's take a look at this next one. <laughs> <We're close. laughs> oh, ministry life is good. Uh, he said, I had another student, true story again. His name is such and such. And he, gra- he graduated top of his class. And then he went on to Harvard Law School and graduated again from the top of his class there. He's a young, handsome, brilliant, articulate, African-American man. Have you any idea what a top graduate of Harvard Law School is able to earn at a firm? Quarter million dollars, easily. Do you know what he's doing? He's living in a one-room flat in Montgomery, Alabama, and every morning he gets up and goes down to the jailhouse and defends the men and women on death row for free. Why? He said it's got nothing to do with the death penalty, per se. It has to do with this. He said we've got two kinds of law. He said one kind of law for the rich and the powerful and another kind of law for the poor and the oppressed. He said we don't put criminals to death in America. We put poor people to death in America. Why? Because the or have no one to speak for them. And then he paused and said, except in Montgomery, Alabama. Because in Montgomery, Alabama, I speak for the poor and I'm good. And the guy says, you don't know how good you are. A young man who would not sell out to the system. A young man who had a dream and a vision that God had called him to do something splendid with his life. Good steward, bad steward. Good. Can I tell you something? As inspiring as that true life story is, for every one of us is God's children. He's got a life just as inspiring. It's just going to be a different business, but it's just as inspiring. 
if we would learn this principle of stewardship. I'd say that's a whole lot more than just money. How about you? Amen. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place, so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon. 
that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.